0: Hello, I'm Russell Howard and this is Wonderbox. A Wonderbox is a place where you keep the things that remind you of the stuff you adore. So I thought it would be cool to do a podcast where I ask some people what they put in their Wonderbox and have a chat about the most amazing moments of their lives. My guest today is one of Britain's best loved comedians. It's Greg Davies. You might know him from uh, Man Down, Cuckoo, The Cleaner, Nevermind the Buzzcocks, Taskmaster. It's Greg. This is his Wonderbox. Hello, everyone. I'm Russell Howard. I'm here with Greg Davis and producer Dan Atkinson. Now, I'm very excited about this because uh, it's a joy having you on the show. Thank you, Russell. Um, the whole point of this is you put things that you adore into this fictitious box. Yes. So let's let's have the first thing you want to put in the box. The first thing that means the world to you.
1: Okay. I've actually currently lost it, <laughs> and I, it's, in my, it's in my home somewhere, and I haven't done a deep dive because I'm worried it has gone, oh, right. or that my incredibly efficient, almost military junta cleaning lady, she makes a lot of decisions about my life, my cleaning lady, right. and she may have decided that I should no longer have that in my life, okay. and I'm worried it's gone. I've told you about the paella pan, right? Oh,
0: you haven't told me about the paella pan. <laughs> Strap
1: yourself in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my cleaning lady she's awesome she's romanian she doesn't speak she barely speaks a word of english but we have a i think a genuine friendship it's one of physical sign language right but i really think we get on yes but she sometimes makes hard decisions about my life yeah. without consulting me right i went to spain a few years ago mm. And I had some paella, and then obviously I indulged in some fanciful idea that I was going to cook paella for my friends. Right. As if I have my friends around the house, yeah. never mind cook paella.
0: Yeah, which is a big
1: dish Madness. Yeah. Oh, so I bought a paella dish, yeah. and I mean, fucking massive. Yeah, yeah. Like a satellite dish. Yeah, And I managed just about to get it into the big drawer. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 how, it, how do you get it
0: back from Spain?
1: Oh, I bought it in England. Oh, a few, right? Yeah, yeah. I came back.
0: I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I came back. This country's
1: great. I came back with wild ideas of Spanish cookery. I don't even like Spanish food, I don't even like (laughs) paella. I just like the idea of. The fanciful notion of friends sitting around a table and me presenting a big thing with prawns and bubbling rice and everyone going, oh, God, Greg's, you know, he's not just a one-dimensional comic. He's got this (laughs) this whole hinterland of Spanish cookery. He's the Piper of Paella. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The the treble P. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, obviously months, maybe even years passed, maybe two years passed. And then I was having some mates round, and normally when my mates come down, round, we just get drunk like we're teenagers. And I thought I'm going to make a paella. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna... right, to. So I went to the big drawer. It's gone. Yeah. Right. And for it to have gone, loads of pans would have had to have been removed. And there's nowhere else for it to go in the flat. So I have a, a quick look round. Nothing. Anyway, my cleaning lady comes back in. I don't think she'd mind me saying this. Her name's Chi-Chi. Chee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she comes in on on the allotted day. I go, "All right, Chi-Chi. She goes, eh. Fuck <laughs> it uh, out. Well, oh, no, she doesn't speak English. She doesn't. Speak, <laughs> no, she, right. we, just, we just make noises at each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not me. No, no. it's the Romanians. <laughs> no, no, no. But yeah. She went, "Yeah," <laughs> right. and I went, "I went. You, are you all right?" And she went, "Yeah." And I, I went, "You haven't seen my, um, you haven't seen my uh, paella pan, have you?" And she went. Eh? <laughs> and, and so I went to the big drawer and I opened it and I pointed and I mimed the big pile of pan and she suddenly realised and she went, ah oh, yeah. And I went, Oh where where is this? And she pointed at my bin and she went, love Rubby. <laughs> and I went, You you threw it away? And she went, oh, yeah. And I love her so much. You know, I get on so well with her and and she does such a beautiful job for me. Yeah. I just went, okay. Yeah. That was it. End of my paella cooking career. I still don't know why she threw it away. It was brand new. I absolutely love her. I tried to help her lifting something... Recently. Yeah. She was lifting something, I can't remember what, but it was heavy and I thought yeah. I'll help. And I, I reached down to help her. It's probably
0: a slow cooker into a fucking skip. <laughs> it was getting chopped away, whatever it <laughs> no, was, I was
1: gonna say. I went down to reach like this and a hand grabbed my hand to stop me from helping. Ooh. And I looked down at her and she she let in close and she went, Gigi's strong. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm making it up I'm not making it
0: up <laughs> <laughs> It's I, it's too perfect. It's it's the hand on the wrist. On my life. Chi Chi's strong. On
1: my life. Oh, God. Yeah.
0: What a glorious start to and the I'll morning. And I'll tell you this. And that isn't even if, the first thing. If, Is Chi Chi going in the box?
1: No. Because she'd climb I mean, she out. She should do that. She'd climb she, out. You know, like, she's strong. Yeah, like Bane from
0: it, Batman. No. <laughs> What's the first thing you put in the oh, uh,
1: <laughs> The thing I think that might have been chichied, as it's known in my household, yeah. is um, a brass fish. It's grotesque actually. Yeah. It's a fist size and it's got a big gaping mouth and it's an ashtray Yeah. that my Welsh grandmother used to have on the side of uh, her um, fireplace, hidden. So you, if you looked for it, you would see the lips of the fish. <laughs> poking out from the side of the thing. Yeah. And it was because she was a God-fearing woman <laughs> and uh, she she mistakenly believed that everyone, including the local minister, didn't think she smoked. Right. Right. Of course, everyone knew she smoked because yeah. she stank. Yeah. And her house stank of smoke. And the sort of protocol was, if anyone knocked on the door there would be pandemonium in the front room when we were kids and she would be, I'm going to sneeze. Wow. Powerful, isn't it?
0: It was. Lovely shake. That was like Derek Cora. Like, it was, wasn't it? It was the way he sort of he sensed it. It wasn't like there was a good 10 seconds you knew what
1: was going on. Yeah. And you found the spirit. Maybe it was the spirit of my grandmother. Yeah, it could have been. Not wanting me to tell the world that she smoked in fact, that, for a whole life.
0: That sneeze smells like nicotine. She's in the room. Her and Chi Chi are in the room. So, so she had this kind of fish
1: Yeah so she had this this fish that she would ram the cigarette into that she was smoking for fear it was mainly the local minister from the chapel. Yeah. And I just have such vivid memories. Uh, I mean I loved her, you know. She yeah. was a hilarious woman. And um I have such memories of the frantic pantomime of yeah. of stubbing her fag out, and it was badly designed for stubbing yeah, because The fish lips aren't wide enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she burnt her fingers every time, and then she'd get her apron off and be cowboy lassoing it around her head to try and move the smoke around the room. It was yeah. just this wonderful pantomime. Surely yeah.
0: get like a porcelain hippo. Oh, or something that's got like a gaping mouth. Yeah,
1: something that, but, like that's uh, got a bit of girth. Yeah. Yeah. And did you And everyone knew she smoked. Yeah, yeah. In the village. Everyone <laughs> knew who she was because she used to <laughs> she used to be um the woman who laid out corpses in the village. Uh, yeah. She's the woman that you called if someone if your husband had died in New Broughton in near Wrexham in North Wales. Yeah. if someone had died. Auntie Edie, that's what she was known as, was a, a nurse, yeah. trained nurse. She would come round and plug up the corpses. Plug up? It's called laying out.
0: But they call it plugging up.
1: No, I made that up. Oh, it's, <laughs> called, it's called laying out. Right. Yeah, yeah. What laying out is, is cleaning the corpse and then plugging up all the orifices so there's no... Wow. You know, no spillage before they get popped in the coffin.
0: Jesus. Let, let's get quite personal. Do you think she ever popped a cigarette up her mouth or her ear? I think she was
1: very respectful of the <laughs> okay, dead, right, Russell. Right, <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> well, I say that. I've got a story, and I'm glad to get it on record somewhere. There was um, a woman in the village who fancied getting in on the laying out action. And I apologise if any Wrexham listens that. I think her name was Mrs Tommy Ed. OK. Right? Yeah. And... Um, she wanted to get in on the laying out of corpses. Yeah, the snout racket that's it <laughs> and um mrs tommy ed i think went to nine and said oh, i want to get in on the i want to get in on the action you know i want to lay some corpses out sure and uh, nine went okay well i'll i'll show you how to do it and uh she went oh that'd be amazing would you, would you mind she goes no 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 come and i'll show you and so someone had died man in the village And um, Nine was showing her how to clean the body and prepare it. And because she didn't want any competition, she decided she was going to freak Mrs. Tommyhead out. So while she was cleaning the corpse, she surreptitiously pushed on the stomach of the body, causing the body to sit up (laughs) because of air and go, (laughs) Ah! And Mrs. Tommyhead started screaming and, and ran out of the building and gave up on her ambitions, wow. leaving, leaving my grandmother to have absolute power where death is concerned yes. in that region. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, given her sort of powers to lay down the dead, hmm. when Auntie Nine, uh,
1: no, Auntie Edie, Auntie Edie, call her Nine. Let's call her Nine. She'd like you calling
0: her Nine. So when Nine said. Shall I tuck the kids into bed? Presumably you were all like,
1: Nine. Nah, we're good. No, <laughs> Nah.
0: <laughs> 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 but that's so weird, isn't it? Those kind of old jobs. Like, apparently my granddad's dad or something, he was like a, a tail docker. And he used to, like, bite the tails off of Jack Russell's. Oh, like what? With his mouth? With his mouth. And it, again, it was that thing of, like, yeah, apparently he was just good at it. And, yeah. Yeah, well, we've all got skills we don't know about, <laughs> but, haven't we? But you know when you just, you're, you're a kid and you hear these stories, you're like, What? And he go, yeah, I used to duck tails, but it's just an image of him... Bite them off. Bite them off and then... (laughs) Wow. So what what does that evoke for you? Is it a nostalgia? Were you laughing when you saw the... She was a
1: very funny woman and she liked... She sort of did a great job of playing the fool, my nine. You know, you never knew whether she was naive or whether she was sort of ridiculing herself. I, I still don't know what she... To what extent she knew what she was doing with her naivety. And I'll, I'll trot out some, some of the classic things that she did and said now, right? Yeah. Well, here's one. Um, my mum used to make corn f- chocolate cornflake cakes when we were kids. Blended. We went to Nines' House once and um, she was outside coughing on the lawn and there was black smoke billowing out of her bungalow. Yeah. And we all ran away and what the hell's happened? And she said, I've, I've had a fire, I've had an accident, I've had an accident. Although that's not in the North Australian accent, I'll come back to that. It's amazing the North Australian accent. Do you know the difference? No. Well, South Wales is quite sing song like this. Yeah. But if you move up the country, to North Wales. <laughs> it starts getting up in the throat. Yeah.
0: Oh really? Yeah. So you're right up there, like? No. No. It's higher. <laughs> it, it's difficult. Difficult.
1: It's difficult for me to do, even though I spent my whole life there. Anyway, I'm digressing. So we ran in and said, what the hell's happened? And she goes, oh, I don't know, Robert. That was my dad. Robert, I, I just wanted to make the cornflake cakes for you, you know. She's Jamaican now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah my Welsh relatives She's running furious. the gammet. yeah, yeah. And we ran in and pulled out the grill pan and there were just small black piles of cornflakes yeah. on the grill that had been, clearly been on fire. And she thought that the way you make chocolate cornflakes, the reason they're brown is because oh. they've been under the grill. She just put piles of cornflakes under the grill and thought they would just turn into. I and mean, then she can't believe that, right? Oh, so you think that was an elaborate practical joke? Well, I don't know. <laughs> there was a guy who lived opposite her who he used to be a lorry driver. You tell me if this is it. This is someone who knows what they're saying. Okay. He was a lorry driver and he got an awful, God bless him, an awful wasting disease of some kind and uh became increasingly immobile on crutches and lost loads of weight. And after a while, his lorry started gathering dust outside the house because he couldn't drive it anymore, mm. the poor sod, you know. Mm-hmm. And we went round once, me and my dad, and she was sitting at the net curtains like a lot of people in... Small villages do, I think. Yeah. Just watching like this. We came in. She didn't even look up. She went, all right. My dad went, what are you doing? She goes, I'm just looking over there. And uh, he went, oh, yeah, poor bloke, eh? She went, it's disgusting. And dad went, what do you mean it's disgusting? She goes, look at him. Absolutely disgusting. My dad went, he's ill. She goes, I know. We all know he's ill. And you'll think I'm making this up. I'm fucking not. She said... We all think he's got that HGV. Oh, my God. (laughs) And he was a lorry driver. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that's (laughs) deliberate. That's just...
0: Do you feel like you are lucky, or do you just have... Incredible sort of powers of recall because you you've got so many stories about friends and family. Did you just have that skill as a, like young kid?
1: I think you just ate one of your parents, don't you, Russ? And my dad was a big raconteur. Yeah, uh, you know, your dad a, was a, an incredible big man. Big story. To,
0: you met him, of course you met. Him. Of course we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what was the, the glorious quote, wasn't it? You tried to get him to He's see. He's perfectly Eddie.
1: nice young man, but I don't want to see his fucking show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It was so great. And I'd spent a
0: good I'd say a good hour with him in Birmingham. Remember that? Yeah. In a slot. I mean, and he really did enjoy your company. I know, that was it. That's why I was so certain. And I said, hey, tell your dad he can come to the show because we clicked. And yeah. then you were avoiding me. And I said, How come your dad's not been in? And then you finally fessed up. Yeah. And it, <laughs> what a glorious way of saying no. He's a perfectly nice young man, but I don't want to see his
1: fucking job. And
0: well, that it. wasn't, you know, anything no, to no,
1: do with your show. That was no, about him had got to an age where he didn't want to do anything, fuck really. Yeah.
0: So that's the first thing. Well, he was a
1: great uh, storyteller, and I I think I come from a a long line of storytellers, I think. Yeah. You know? And I think... If you enjoy t- spinning a yarn, well, you you do the same. Yeah. Well, you know, you try not to live your life collecting these things, thinking I'm going to use this on stage, but yeah. you can't help it to an extent. Yeah. And, and it, as soon as I get a sniff of, hang on a minute, yeah, <laughs> then I never forget it.
0: It's funny, isn't it? Because I feel like we grew up around similar families where yeah. there was always kind of a big commotion going on at a party. And I just remember from a very young age just kind of just taking it all in mm. and then you just end up chatting about it on the bus do you know what i mean it'd be a yeah. story about what your granddad did or your nan did you know yeah and it eventually becomes your personality as like you know just got these little little kind of mad stories
1: about it's currency happened. isn't it it's just it, it becomes who you are so. it's funny though
0: is it rather than jokes it was stories yeah funny stories rather than kind of one-liners you know some kids have kind of got gags you'd sort of like, I don't know, It was always the back of the bus on a Monday morning. There was a kid in our school called Dave. He used to have some absolute purlers, like mind-boggling bullshit. Yeah. Like about being shot at in the woods. Do you know what I mean? He was going to work for a Tokyo investment bank. Like just <laughs> <laughs> chaos. <laughs> so the next thing you've involved your dad, doesn't it? Because you've got... Is he your dad's 1970 swimming trunks?
1: Yeah. Well, that's and the-, the reason I said is swimming trunks is because i i was home last week and i asked my mum if his 1970 swimming trunks still exists because they are just evocative of our summer holidays Mm. i mean they they in themselves are not significant but my sister and i invented a game we used to go to the south of france every summer right and we couldn't afford it my dad just used to teach a rich woman (laughs) and she used to let us go to her place in the south of france all right so we'd drive across france we couldn't even afford the train at the time, we'd drive across France and we'd stay in the rich lady's chalet in France. Wow. And We went there every summer for like six, seven years for mm. growing up really. And um, We invented a game on the beach, me and my sister, where we would pretend we'd drown. <laughs> right? And we did it fairly regularly yeah. and it was near Saint Tropez, there was, was a beach with some boys quite far out. And we'd even not do it that often just so he would forget about the game. And we would swim out to a boy, make sure that he was sunbathing with mum, turned away long enough. Really relaxed. Yeah, swim out. And then we would both duck behind the boy. My sister would get in front of me like this. And I'd hold on to the sides of the boy. And of course, from the beach, you can't can't see us at all. And we used to call the game Hands on Hips. Because when he started panicking, he'd stand up. That was the first stage. We were like... You know, but he only started panicking when suddenly he went, hands on hips, it started to get more animated. Yeah. God, it made me laugh so hard. We were behind that boy, laughing our head off that we'd scared our dad into thinking we were dead. Yeah.
0: And the, and the irony, if you're that, you're that far out of sea laughing, there's a fair chance you could New drown. Drag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cause of death, prank. Yeah.
1: Did you ever manage to get him to go into the sea full for Hasselhoff? No, you see. I mean he he may have gone ankle deep. He he's very he was very like me my dad in that he you know didn't enjoy physical movement in his middle age yeah. very much. I think it would take an awful lot for him to go, well, I suppose I better go in for it." <laughs> <laughs> but I had um, those years were so magic uh, us as a family because my yeah. dad traveled an awful lot and
0: What did your dad do?
1: He was a lecturer. Right. He was a, in education. I've got a good story about this. Yeah. I think it's funny. You tell me if it, I'll come back to it. Um Yeah, those they were magical because he was away a lot teaching and he, he taught in America and and sort of Nigeria and places. He was away for months at a time, but those months in France were we were all always together.
0: And would you sort of I have a in my mind's eye, I sort of see you as a family having food together, chatting, the meals taking ages. Yeah. Am I right? Am I- no, maybe
1: not actually. I mean, yes. Yeah, we we always had a, a, a real laugh, but I always thought we were odd. I thought we were odd as right. a family. Yeah, You know, like there was a certain age where mum was quite strict growing up and very tight on manners and things. Yeah. And then there became this age where we suddenly started swearing in front of each other and saying weird things. And my mum will fucking kill me for putting this on record. Yeah, But, like, her nickname when we were teenagers was, was Long Crack. <laughs> be- be- because... <laughs> Because we decided that her her ass was abnormally long. <laughs> and I found a picture. She'll kill me for this. Yeah, I mean... I found a picture of me and my sister with a tape measure on her backside. Yeah, but yeah. my dad had clearly taken. <laughs> 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 I'm not naked, by the way. She was really short. Yeah. sure, sure.
0: So hang on. So who was involved in the crafting of Longcraft's nickname? Was that you? Long crack. Longcrack.
1: Me and my sister. You and but your my sister? dad would join in, no yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah. So yeah.
0: when he heard mention of Longcrack...
1: Yeah, yeah. He and we him. used to call it <laughs> We used to call him Pooh Fingers. Yeah. Because he would go to the toilet uh on a Sunday with a newspaper and be in there for like two hours yeah. smoking and shitting and reading a paper. And then he'd come out and he'd put his arm round you and we'd go, Yeah, all right, Pooh Fingers. keep your poo fingers away from me. I love it. So And he he once said to me <laughs> He had a great sense of humour. One one day he said to me, You've got a nerve calling me poo fingers. <laughs> he, he, he lost it. He went, You've got a nerve calling me poo fingers. I cleaned your pants off the bedroom floor the other day and they were thick with shit.
0: <laughs> uh, what a uh, what time of the day was that? that he, he, he attacked you with your pants being thick with shit.
1: Thick with shit, I don't know. I can't remember. But thick I just remember it being funny that he had a cut-off point. But I do think we were very sort of... We were odd in the way that we spoke to each other past a certain point in the teenage years. It became... my and it's my, I imagine it's my dad's doing, but it became a free-for-all with my mum trying to k- keep a, a level of respectability, you know, keeping the public face of the family. Yeah. But, but we, had a, we had a laugh, but it was chaos, you
0: know. I remember... The, the times when you realised your family were peculiar was when you went round your mates for tea. Yeah. That was a real leveller Yeah, as to kind of go, oh, what? okay, this is this is a different way of doing things. Yeah. I remember I remember specifically going round my mate's house and you know when you suddenly go, okay, this clearly isn't a phrase that everyone uses. And my mate, he drank from my cup and he said, oh, sorry, that's your cup. And I said in front of his mum and dad's, so I went, that's all right, mate, we're all from the same hole. Oh, Which was fun. one of my mum's, but but I never re- re- I never understood what it meant. But like aged eight, that was a regular thing. If you accidentally ate from someone's plate, we're all from the same hole, yeah. And then back to eating, but it's such a disgusting phrase. It's all hole, yeah. So you're from the same hole, it? you know.
1: Well, my, the, see, my mum was the marshal of stuff like that. Right, she would not let that get out of the inner circle. I so we see. would say bad things to each other. So Longcrack stayed in the house. Oh Christ! If Longcrack, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be in trouble now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if Longcrack had got out, but the, we but the, we had to appear normal. But we were never a normal family. The, yeah. The the stuff that. Well, you know what? We played. Oh, I was going to tell you
0: something else, wasn't I? It was about your dad, and you said you'd come back to that. Ah, oh, What was it? It was about the uh, the trunks.
1: It was. Yes, I, I will come back to that. Okay, uh,
0: Dan, put a pin in that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and uh, this is how you can remind me, Dan. It was about uh, my dad working on some Caribbean islands.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, oh. let's uh, let's approach that sideways gingerly.
1: But no, no, you're safe. It's cool. Are we? We um. But he's my dad, ta- is
0: in the back of one of the Lilt adverts.
1: <laughs> but you know that that idea of wholesome family meals. Yeah. I mean, that never happened. We, we did sit round and, uh, and. No, I imagine it's chaos. And have, but it's, it's chaos. And it's my, you know, my dad amusing himself by making up lies, stuff yeah. like that. That's something I never understood about my dad. He would lie to us, but not enjoy the lie by going, ah, at any point. He would lie, we'd believe it, and that would be his enjoyment. Yeah. I had an uncle, Frank, from Wales who lived opposite uh, nine, right? And he used to work in a colliery. And he chopped one of his fingers off. And I, as a kid, I was intrigued by the fact that he had a finger missing here. Yeah. And he was lovely, but a very straightforward, simple man. Yeah. So he spent his whole life down a mine. He chopped his finger off down the mine. I was in Shrewsbury long after Uncle Frankie was. Long after his death, I was in at home with my parents. My dad in retirement now. We went to Shrewsbury. Me and my dad for lunch. And we were sitting down in the park, and in Shrewsbury, there's this huge private school on a hill, where Charles Darwin went. You know, it sort of an illustrious private school for a hundred and fifty years. Mm. And we're sitting there, and I went, "It's an amazing building, actually, because it's actually on a hill overlooking the River Severn. It's incredible, you know." So it's amazing that uh, that school, isn't it? He goes, "Yeah, yeah." He goes, "You, you wouldn't believe your uncle Frank went there, would you?" <laughs> And I went, fuck off. And he went, he did. I went, fuck off, Dad. Uh, uh, Frank worked down a mine and he chopped his finger off down there. He goes, I know, he did end up in the mines, but I'm telling you, he had a first-rate, he won a scholarship and he had a first-rate private education. I went, this is horseshit. He went, I'm telling you. I went, well, let's just leave it then. So we carried on our day. Maybe three hours later, we're driving back to my folks' house And my dad's got a cousin, Gordon, who's uh, uh, still alive and is a hilarious man. And he ran a carpet shop in Shrewsbury. And my dad goes, oh, hey, let's nip in and see Gordon. And Frank was Gordon's dad. Right. So we go into the um, carpet shop and and Gordon has a little area where they used to go for a fag. So they were having a fag and we were there for an hour. And um, then as we're leaving the shop, uh, we're literally going out uh, the door's tinkled, and my dad goes, ''Hey, hey, I f- Frank, b- before I go any further, Gordon, ''I'm going to turn away from you, ''because I don't want to influence you in any way. ''Tell Greg, where did your dad go to school?'' And Gordon went, ''Well, I mean, God, for all the good it did him, ''he went to the big private school on the hill, didn't he?'' And I went, ''Fucking hell, did he?'' He goes, ''Yeah, yeah, he won a scholarship, and he went there, of course, ''but life changed, and he ended up down the mines, ''but that, that's where he went, all right?'' And I went... Bloody hell! Cut two. It must be ten years later. My dad's now dead. Gordon tells me that my dad had rang him from the park, <laughs> rang him from the park, and said, "In about two hours, I'm going to come in, and I want you to tell Greg that Frank went to that school." And my dad didn't even live to enjoy the life.
0: Yeah, but see, that's the majesty of that. Quite a one, it. Because the laugh you get. Is there a deeper, lovelier laugh than your dad's passed away and he's got you? Yeah. And and you're just like, yes, yeah. it's you beautiful. Bastard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and presumably it feels like your dad was one of those guys. There must be thousands of those.
1: I don't know. I, I, I sort of feel like my life's been like the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Just so many lies have been told to me and I've lived this existence. Yeah.
0: Have you ever popped those but, trunks but, well, on, if you don't mind me saying
1: I I, I was looking for them at home. Because isn't it funny how something becomes so symbolic of that period? Just yeah. that he had these very distinctive, awful 70s, you know, tight... Were they blue? <laughs> no, no, they were striped black and red. Right. You know, figure-hugging yeah. sort of... You know, sort of thing. I mean, sort of things you'd see men in adverts from the 50s wearing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. did Long Crack have special <laughs> costumes? or?
1: <laughs> just do a comic? Long Crack or? used to wear all-in-ones. Yeah. They were what was in in the Are sort sure. of the 80s. Sort of it was Longcrack's oh, vibe.
0: <laughs> right, what's the, uh, what's the next thing? Sorry, before we move on to the next thing, can I just yeah. ask, before he passed, your dad, did you ever go to the West Indies? It's a, <laughs> a, a great nice. question. Well done. really dear. nice, Super. Dan.
1: Yeah. I think this is funny. I don't know whether my mum will agree. I think it's funny, and I feel certain that my my dad found it funny. Mm. I never got to ask him at the height of his international work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a great year He
1: he was working in various countries, and he was an education (laughs) specialist. And he got a, God forgive me, I can't remember the group of islands, but there's a small group of islands in the West Indies that are a country in their own right. My dad got a call in the 80s, maybe early 90s, the prime minister of this small nation state of islands, would like you to design their education system. Wow. My, and my dad really, really knew his shit, you know. Yeah. He was an international education specialist. Wow. And so he went and met the prime minister, stayed on this island for two months, three months, and from scratch designed them a new secondary, a primary and secondary education system. Wow. You know, that's a legacy, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Isn't it? Cut to 25 years later, my mum and dad are on a cruise my mum thought, I'm going to get in touch with the Prime Minister's office and see if he's still around and see if he'll meet Bob to reminisce about the, yeah. that momentous time. And sure enough, the Prime Minister's office get back to him and say, you know, obviously the Prime Minister's long retired, but he does remember your husband and he'd be happy to have tea with him. So didn't tell my dad. Got him onto the island and said, surprise, we're going, to, we're going to meet the ex-Prime Minister. You know, and obviously my dad was delighted. And they'd done, they'd done a job. They'd put tea out and cakes mm. and things. And he sat and they, remi- they, they chatted for an hour, you know, and he was um, a very eloquent, gentle man, the prime minister. And it, wonderful, right? And then right at the end, my dad made reference to the education system that he designed. <laughs> and the prime minister went, oh, yeah, we didn't use that in the end.
0: Oh. oh.
1: oh. Fuck. And
0: then back on the cruise. Fuck,
1: man. The next morning he's eating... yeah, Yeah, no, we didn't use that. <laughs> I just find it so funny, and I'm sure my dad will have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. did enough to put it in context, but... But it's the idea that you just, you're...
0: Lovely mum was taking him there as a surprise, yeah. Just to give him like a sort of a karmic kiss for hey. Of course, remember that remember? moment. And, and then... All of your
1: achievements, yeah and, yeah. and she could have picked one of a hundred achievements, yeah. And she picked the one that oh, didn't come to fruition, yeah, exactly. Because he did do amazing work, you know. How do you get a job like that? That's such an unbelievable job. I don't know, especially for from a miner's son. It, it was quite the quite the jump my dad made, really. Given his skills in education, were you under pressure as a kid to do well academically? Uh, um, yes, uh, and I was disappointed at every turn. Right. Yeah, and, and that... I th- I think it was yeah it was difficult for my dad that because neither me or my sister were especially academic. It was difficult for Sean and I because he was so fiercely intelligent. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I certainly felt the pressure to go into teaching from my dad because all I wanted to do after uni was comedy. Is that right? Oh, yeah, I, that's all I wanted to do. But I had, it, in the 80s, no one said, this is what you do now. Yeah. There wasn't really, you know, there was this thriving comedy scene. Yeah. But there was no sort of, if you want to do it, this is what you do. Yeah. And so my dad went. You should go into teaching.
0: <laughs> but it's given that you're such a natural. God, it's so odd to think that I didn't know that. I thought you just. It was like this moment where you just thought, right, bugger this. I'm going. I'm going to have a different spin. No. You want no, it. No. All
1: I wanted to do. I, I mean, from primary school, uh, my main motivation was trying to make people laugh. Yeah. And it was how I certainly how I held my dad's attention. So given <laughs> given how miserable
0: you were, and you've described it when you were teaching. Yeah. That moment when you first found comedy, yeah, that must have been quite emotional for you.
1: It very, and you would think it would be, um, you would think it would be a happy time, but when you've left something too long, like I didn't start till I was thirty three. I know you, you were on the circuit when you were nine, <laughs> but like. I was 33 before I even contemplated doing it. So, I, yeah. you know, I was I was knocking on. And I, I think that because I'd left it too late and because the ambition had gnawed at me for my whole adult life, well, my whole life, it felt like the stakes were so high to me oh, that really? I didn't enjoy any of it. And I was talking to someone, I was talking to a stand-up last night about it. I think Glenn Wool. Anyway, the stakes felt so high that all the way through those Edinburgh years, when we were going through the... the 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 circuit and I was in clang and stuff you know I was just stressed and unhappy Mm. (laughs) you know it's only in very recent years that I've started to enjoy what I do for a living
0: it's funny isn't it the glass
1: has been firmly half empty for the majority of my career
0: because there's no greater motivator than fear
1: yeah, and
0: th- you're gonna look like a moron. You're gonna be so bad. It's gonna be, you know. I remember go back
1: licking your wounds to teaching. That's what I felt. You know, there was a to
0: specific go. gig I remember seeing you do in Melbourne in what 2007 at it, the Hi Fi.
1: I remember it, Russell. And you know what? It's so strange. People don't realise the impact they have on you, and you coming up to me afterwards and telling me how much you loved that gig. It was. It was, was so important yeah, at the time. Was it?
0: Yeah. But it was the best set I'd seen at the festival, it was so brilliant. And it was so interesting when you you know, when you see somebody in our world and you know, you're obviously funny and then you see somebody do something when you go, Oh, they've really got it now. You know, because we're all kind of funny, and then it's almost like seeing somebody figure out their position Yeah. in in like a football pitch, where you go, oh, Greg knows how to play up front for Man United.
1: But we're all so wrapped up in ourselves, understandably, coming through, that we don't tell each other, and you saying that was one of the few times that someone who was doing the same job as me yeah. had gone, oh, you're good at that. And I went, <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> What
0: would you like to pick? What's going in the box next?
1: I just probably would put one of the cars in my life in. I've had a lifelong obsession with cars and it yeah. came from hanging out with my dad who was equally obsessed by cars. Yeah, so you've got three cars here. You've
0: got your mum's Hillman Imp, yeah. your dad's Yellow Rover, and your Renault 18.
1: Yeah, I'll do in reverse order. My Renault 18 was called the Claw. Oh, yes. And um, why? It was so dangerous. I, I drove it when I was like 18. So, was it a small car? Mm. Four-door, family, car, awful. But it was called The Claw because every morning um, it wouldn't start when I had to go and teach. Yeah. Every morning it wouldn't start. And the only course of action I had was to get Jeff out of bed, oh. which is good because the fucker... Um, I came home once and he was in my dressing gown eating my food. Oh. Fucking incredible. After i taught those cunts all day. And... Did you like him so much that you let him get away with that? No! <laughs> <laughs> I, I put a lock on my bedroom door in the end, and I kept my food in there. Anyway, <laughs> I would get him out of bed every morning and go, the fucking car won't start. And he'd come out in boots and his dressing gown, and he would push me up the road on his own, and I would bump start the car every morning. And one day, and to to this day, I don't know why... One day I could hear him behind me puffing and wheezing, pushing it along before I bump started it, and he was just repeatedly shouting the claw at the top of his voice. Oh, right. He was just going, the claw! The claw! (laughs) And so it was called the claw from that day forward. I don't know why. But and presumably you're going
0: to school that day just laughing at the fact that you can see your mate in the rearview mirror. Yeah, yeah. Wearing your dressing gown on his way to eat your golden gray. That's it. And shouting the claw in your brain. Shouting
1: the claw over and over again. I, I found out it's a Motorhead song, "The Claw." Right. So he was quoting Motorheads, but yeah. I didn't know that at the time, so it just became the claw. I love the claw, but cars. Uh, you know, cars generally. Are you a uh, what's that phrase? You? you a petrol head? Well, well, I'm not in that. I don't crave the <clears> grunt <throat> of uh, of power. I've always seen, I've always seen them as. When I was a kid, all I wanted was a den, right? That was my whole childhood obsession, was a space of my own. Mm. Because in our house, there was no space of your own. Like bedroom doors were booted open first thing (laughs) to be cleaned, (laughs) you know? There was no place. It's interesting, I think. Like in my sister's house, my, my niece's bedrooms are sacrosanct and not to be entered because yeah. they've got their own space. But yeah. when I was growing up, it wasn't a thing that yeah. kids need a space. Yeah. And I think I've always seen cars as a den on wheels. I see. And like recently, in recent years, I've, I've probably told you I've bought a motorhome. Yes. And I think it is just the fulfilling of a lifelong ambition to have a space that no one else yeah. is entitled to be in. And I've always seen cars as a den rather than a sort of, yeah, let's get the power, let's get this gassed up and start. Yeah. You you know, I just see them as a a safe space that's just mine. And the more gadgets a car had, the better. So I spent my whole childhood trying to talk my dad into buying a car with electric windows. Yeah. That was the big obsession. And the rover that that I wrote down, the yellow rover, that it had cunt as a number plate. Oh. CNT eight six eight T. Yeah. And um it it had electric windows and I just used to go and sit in it every day and just put the windows up and down. Yeah. Like a like a like an old school village simpleton. Where's Greg? He's hanging out in the cunt. <laughs> He's just putting the windows in the cunt up and down. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's so funny. I love that car. But it's I presumably that exists now, but that wide-eyed Bafflement and astonishment at things like electric windows. I remember the first time we got a microwave in 1988, and it that genuinely be being an
1: extraordinary
0: moment that yeah. we all put a potato into the microwave.
1: Yeah, and all stood around, right? Stood around
0: and watched it. Yeah, and then Mum got it out, and we kind of all ate a bit from it. And but it was like we were discovering fire. It yeah, it was so it's a hot. It's a bit hot in it. It's a bit bit hot.
1: But just, exactly. But it was so. And the idea that you would need to automate windows yeah, yeah. <laughs> when all it was to put it down was this movement yeah. for a few seconds. If I was being particularly negative, I would say that things like the invention of electric windows were the tip of the iceberg of of the automation of society. You and think that was the beginning of the end? I, no, but I, I, I sort of do. Mm. We don't need to have a button that puts a window down, right? That's just people sitting around going, well we've designed the car, let's start fucking gilding this lily. Like, imagine telling some of your
0: your uncles or your kind of your granddad that one day you'll be travelling in a car that could heat your bum to the setting of your choice. Right,
1: <laughs> and, and heat my hands. My car's got a heated steering wheel. Has it really? Yeah, I mean, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I do think... I, I wonder how these technological advances uh, of... Uh, impacting us. Do you have fantasies of going off grid? I um my mum's not been well lately and I, so I've spent a lot of time with her and to kill time the other day I did some wood chopping and I spent the whole day cutting back a wooded area in my mum's garden and opening up the view and then stacking the logs and I can honestly say it's the happiest I've been for 10 years. Mm. And I think it's because we don't do stuff anymore. Yeah. We don't physically do stuff it's isn't it it's sort of that depressing thing like my granddad's
0: nickname was ticker because he could fix stuff right to call him ticker and i remember the first crash i had was my peugeot 205 and i accidentally hit a a snowmobile that was trying to get rid of snow i sort of like skidded into it the only day it snowed in 1997 it was like the slowest crash ever properly knocked the front of it and within Two weeks, my granddad had fixed the front, sorted out the the kind of bumper, everything. So yeah. it looked like nothing had happened. Right. But that would cost me now thousands to repair everything. And my yeah. granddad was like, you've got to do this, pop it out. You know, I just don't have any practical skills. Who does these days?
1: No. Well, I want them. Yeah. I want to rewild myself, Russell. You know, I really loved that day gardening. I it's, think. F- it's funny as well. Like... <laughs>
0: Given that my wife's a doctor, I find myself, you know, I read about stuff, stuff you can do to kind of, you know, make you better. And one of the things I read about was a thing called earthing, which is apparently if your feet are always touching the ground with no shoes. Yeah. But, I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. We're in, we're in similar lanes. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that that reduces inflammation. <laughs> but as a consequence, you do have to walk around barefoot everywhere. Yeah. And, and um, that makes you ill. Well... <laughs> It, it just gives you a lot of looks. Yeah. And your wife's family are like, why is he doing that? It's just, he's just, he's read a book. He's read a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm faddy as well. Yeah. But she, well, you've got the thing that I encourage you to buy the uh, infrared light machine. I still use
1: it. Yeah. Even though I've been told by not just your wife, by several medically trained people that there's no medical validity to sitting in front of infrared lights, (laughs) I still sit in front of it. Topless. I don't know why I'm uh, topless.
0: No, no, same. (laughs) topless and I'll roll my pants up to get as much skin as possible there you go. but the line that got me is my wife looked at I, sh- I showed her the online brochure for it and she said it's like something from Brass Eye you fucking idiot Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is for a certain generation it's the perfect you know, oh geez I've been tricked again
1: but that's it you see what what both of us should be doing rather than sitting in front of an infrared light box is we should both be out chopping wood I think you might be right I do think that's the case.
0: I think they'll they'll definitely become. I presume this exists already, but there will be places where holidays, hotels, the whole point of which is to
1: right, hand your
0: phone in, take all this. Stop
1: staring at a screen like an open mouthed zombie. Yeah. I went to um, New Zealand. I decided to take some time off this year. I went, I went I to remember, New Zealand. I'll yeah,
0: because I tried to get hold of you for the TV show, mm. and our mutual agent. I said, "Where's Greg?" And he said, "He's he's in New Zealand somewhere."
1: He's gone. He's yeah. gone wild. Yeah. I was the oldest backpacker in in New Zealand. Yeah, I well, just that, tra-
0: That's a film title.
1: I'm, <laughs> the listen, oldest backpacker. I'm ready. Call me. I'd love to see you in that. But I just drove around. New you Zealand. and
0: Michael Douglas?
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> smashing up burger <laughs> joints. <laughs> Re- rejecting progress.
0: <laughs> Just doing shots in some tiki bar. I, I, I don't know, Mike, I can't, I can't feel my legs.
1: I, um, I met up with Ian Morris, who wrote mm. The In Us. Mm. He was working out there. And I met up with him and we did a, we did a road trip. He's a very funny man. And um, he had this obsession with seeing this big tree.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> On the North Island in New Zealand, there's yeah. this famous tree. It's giant. It's like called the King of the Forest. The Maori roughly translates as the King of the Forest, I think, something like that. And he said, I want to go and see this big tree. And he showed me a picture of it. It's like this fucking fairly big tree. But it was a two-hour drive. And I was so furious that I was going to have to spend two hours in a van. And I knew what the destination was. It was to see a big tree. But we did it. And uh, I got there. And... um, In New Zealand, they're very good at displaying their natural beauty. They make a song and dance about it and they don't charge you. So there was a sort of beautifully laid out forest entrance to go and see the big tree. Yeah, And um, we went through the forest, which is like a proper rainforest, in itself beautiful, and then standing in this clearing was this tree. (laughs) And I just was mesmerised by it. And it's the closest I've come to some sort of spiritual experience yeah. where I couldn't speak in the shadow of a big tree. Mm. And I don't know why I'm telling you. No, but it is it
0: is that interesting thing, isn't it? Because that's, that's a story about actually when you go to the effort to have a human experience rather than sort of the easy fix of phones. That's it. Because you're like, how can a tree possibly compete with the world. I've got the world on my phone. Exactly. And, and,
1: and the answer to that question is that, you know, I read one sentence, is that the tree was 2,000 years old. Yeah. So the tree existed pre-Christ that tree was standing in that spot. Yeah. And um, it was quite magical to be honest, without being cynical. it was. We both... Uh, he's a talker as well, Morris. Mm. And we just stood in silence going fair play that is. A, that's a hell of a tree that is.
0: Have you ever taken... Um, <laughs> magic mushrooms or
1: ayahuasca i've never taken any kinds of hallucinogen because mm. i uh, because i cannot relinquish control russell but i'd really love to same i'd lo- i'd love to uh, if someone could say you'd definitely be all right that's the pickle isn't it i'd be banging them every other day i think when i was at, at uni jeff who used to push the claws <laughs> Oh <laughs> Ow, God! Coffee
0: out of my nose. That's a new experience.
1: <clears throat> oh, you sod, Jeff yeah. the Claw, the Claw Pusher. Yeah, right. Pre-claw, pre-teaching. When we were just at uni together, yeah. we decided we were going to take some acid, and I had um, a scouse mate who uh, could hook us up. Right. So we bought we bought two tabs of acid, mm. and we were due to to take them this weekend, and then. Someone got ill. I think my dad. I, I think my dad was having heart surgery, actually, and it was all quite sudden. So I had to go home. Mm. So I left Jeff with my skates friend to <laughs> to have his uh, trip experience, and I was home for forty eight hours. Yeah, everything was all right. So I came back on the Sunday night, and they were due to to take the acid on the Friday night. Yeah. And I went in and, and I went, where's Jeff? Where's Jeff? I was like excited to find out, you know, this wonderful journey he'd been on. And um, my housemate went, you, be- you better go and see him. <laughs> you better go and see him. He's in his, his room. And I went, okay. And I went up the stairs and Jeff was in a fetal position in his room. And I went, you are right? And he just went like this, pointed. And next to his bed, there was a, an A4 pad and it was full. Of mad writing of his that he'd written while he was on his acid trip. Wow. And it started Dear Greg, as a friend, (laughs) you must never take this poison. Oh my God. (laughs) That was uh, the opening. And then, you know, obviously, he just, lots of people have good times. He'd obviously just had a bad trip. What? But there were whole A4 pages, Russ, of. (laughs) <laughs> every second lasts a year. Every second lasts oh. a year. Every second lasts a year, and that's you know a big factor as to why I don't. I've never indulged in it.
0: Well, every second lasts a year sounds like that. Sounds like Shropshire.
1: Is there?
0: <laughs> I mean, let's not fuck around. You, you've experienced.
1: Well, yeah. at least that year's out in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So what's what's the next one? Well, I suppose it's the the corner bench of the pub in Wem in Shropshire called The Castle, which is still there. And, you know, I'm, I, I could tell you a hundred stories about The Castle, but those two years when you first start drinking, yeah, you know, and in Shropshire, like, being really rebellious was starting drinking when you were 17. I wouldn't know where to start. All Me and all of my mates grew up on that bench, <laughs> sitting and? in that...
0: What corner. was it, but w- w- is it because you could see the whole pub?
1: Yeah. And and you could just... Not that we were looking, it was just our little gang in the corner, Yeah, and we were there every weekend, sometimes every night, just growing up, and it hasn't changed. And the landlord at the time, Rob, there was no closing time. Yeah. There wasn't a lock-in. Yeah. There was no closing time. <laughs> and I remember, as a teenager, seeing Rob, who was probably in his 50s, with his head in his hands... At, after two, three o'clock in the morning, because he was depressed that we weren't leaving. But he didn't kick us out. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, they're never going to go." But I guess I'll just wait until their spirits are broken.
0: Yeah. And so they...
1: it was just this always open fun palace for me and a group of stupid mates to sit in the corner.
0: Can you remember the first time you went in?
1: Yeah, because I was shitting myself because I was only seventeen.
0: Yeah.
1: Like you know, you, you that like... to me was an act of such rebellion. And you had ID. No, I didn't ask for ID. Jesus Christ! There were people three, four years younger than me drinking in there? See, my manoeuvre because I was young-looking, and you
0: know when you just look back at photos of yourself, and you know, I don't know what that was about. When I was seventeen, I used to go out in like the, the stuff you'd wear to like a family wedding, yeah, <laughs> like 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 neat trousers and a and a and a, and a blue shirt yeah, with pleats.
1: You have pleats on the front, like proper, yeah, yeah,
0: and a, and a pair of like smart shoes yeah as if i was just popping in like
1: from my job in admin
0: and it didn't work and then i'm outside dressed like I'm an estate agent yeah it was yeah. But, do you know what i mean it was all these maneuvers that you try and one of them like i mean, i just vividly remember it. And my mates were like well, why are you dressed like that and i was like watch and learn you morons <laughs> like that and i had a, even the tie but i didn't have the tie on i had it kind of just in my pocket to sort of suggest oh just I finish your work today? Like, so I thought it through yeah. straight away. Can I have a pint of Foster's? How old are you? 18. Where's your ID? Left it at the office. <laughs> the then, office. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then like, where was your date of birth? 23rd of March. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then outside, walking the streets, dressed like I'm in a boy band.
1: Amazing. But you see, there was none of that in Westminster, there was no fear of like, being ID. It was just like, yeah, you can walk. If you can walk, you can drink. And what, what are the sort
0: of seminal moments of that pub?
1: I, so, I mean, so many. The Wem Riots is something I'd like to get on record because it's never been spoken of in public. But me and my friends from that era, my old schoolmates, will regularly make reference when we meet up to the Wem Riots. And the Wem Riots was about five of us. And we came out of the pub hammers in the early hours of the morning. I've got to give you a bit of background. There was a video shop in Wem. For younger listeners, you used to have to rent films on yeah. a tape before you could just download them. And then um, we called the guy at the WEM video store Bullshitter Fred, because whatever film you pointed at, and we used to do it for fun, we'd go in and just point at any film, go, what Fred, what's this like? And without looking up, he'd go, it's an absolute scorcher. <laughs> <laughs> and he lived above his video shop. Yeah. And we pissed. We went onto the churchyard in the high street and there were some big paving slabs that some builders had left there and we lifted them up and started smashing them on the road right it's probably the most out of order thing i've ever done Mm. but it was just a load of teenagers smashing three or four paving slabs and it ended when bullshitter fred appeared at his upstairs window went i can see you you bastards (laughs) (laughs) and then we ran home yeah now that we remember as the, Wem, the riots. Wem riots. Yeah.
0: Time is is hurtling along, so I'm going to ask you for your final one, which I believe Britney is, Spears is a CD. Yeah. Yeah. This is the one. I, it's not Britney Spears. You're not putting her in the box.
1: I'm, no, I'm not. I I, I think I think Britney's got enough problems without <laughs> me sticking her in a box. But specifically, so that's it's my a, observation. It's
0: the song, Oops, I Did It Again.
1: Yeah. It's a a very oblique tribute to an ex-girlfriend, actually. I went out with a... When I was in my uh, middle school of teaching, I went out with a very pragmatic Australian PE teacher. Oh, really? Who was far too beautiful to concede to my advances. But I wooed her to uh, Oops, I Did It Again, because I gave her a lift to work every day and... I couldn't tell you why, but we listened to Oops, I Did It Again every day and sort of both learnt the lyrics and made a sort of in-car dance routines to uh, that song. Right. Couldn't tell you why, but I I wooed her to that song. And she's very much alive, by the way. She lives back in Australia now. Her name's Trine, And she may not even remember this, but I think she is in large part responsible for me starting stand-up, finally. Really? That's why I put it in, because... She didn't understand, if I wanted to do something, why I wouldn't just fucking do it. Right. That was her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, That was her attitude, you know. And we only went out for a year and a half or something. But during that time, her default thing whenever we spoke about it was, well, you want to do this thing, why aren't you doing this thing? It's like mad. And has she seen you do stand-up? Yeah, I think so. I haven't seen her for a long time. Every now and again we get in touch, but she's back in you know, has a whole life in Australia now. But um... isn't it
0: funny though that these people sort of drift into our lives, and that's probably inconsequential car chat from her. Yeah, and, and yet it resonated. With you so much, you're like, yeah, that I got to do stand up. Just do it, anyway. So what's uh, what's going on? Today? Yeah, you know and, I mean?
1: and I I wonder because I've never actually directly spoke to her about it. I wonder if she realises that yeah. you know the impact it had. Her sort of. Have yeah. I ever told you the flotation tank story? Oh no. Right for my thirty second birthday, she bought me a go in a flotation tank. Yeah, because she said. I quote, I thought you'd be into that sort of shit, Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not that she had any interest yeah. in stuff like that because she was a runner, practical yeah. woman. She wanted to see the world. you like lying down in salt water? Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of bullshit you'd be yeah. interested Get in, in, in there. was the sort of, yeah. you know, attitude. So I did it and I thought, I'm going to have a real go at this. I'm going to really enter into the spirit of this. Okay. And I fully immersed myself in the experience what for an hour. I, I like really did what I was told by the saltwater therapist. I lay there, I emptied my mind, you know. And it was quite trippy and odd. Yeah. And um, she did it as well. Then we went for a meal. Lovely. Next morning I woke up. I couldn't stop crying. Right. Right? For no apparent reason. I was just in tears and I remember her going, what the fuck's wrong with you? (laughs) I (laughs) went, I I don't know. I don't know. And... That was sort of maybe Thursday night. Friday, I'm the same. I'm teaching and I'm like, (laughs) fighting back the tears the whole time. The sound's made up, Russell. No, no, no. It's all true. Saturday morning, I'm the same. I'm fighting back tears for no good reason. And um, she's like, you're going fucking mad. (laughs) And I went, I "I know. I know I am. And uh, she she was going to a barbecue with some friends that afternoon. And she goes, you better (laughs) fucking... <laughs> and if she's listening, she'd be so horrified by this impression because she's really feminine and yeah. lovely. She's not. She's not crocodile. Yeah. I mean, you've made her sound like
0: you've made her sound like an Australian pace bowler. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's nothing
1: like that. Oh, fucking hell, mate. Yeah,
0: silly. Just pitch line and length, you fucking girl.
1: <laughs> she um. Uh, she said that she was going to a barbecue and I should come because I was clearly losing my mind. I need to get out of the act. Yeah, but stay away from the fire, you fucking Bellin. That's it. So I'm at the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Fighting back tears still. And um, I overhear this hippie woman. There's a woman in one of those generic Paisley dresses. <laughs> And I hear her saying that she runs the flotation tank centre. And I'm on her. (laughs) I'm on her like a puber, And I literally uh, held on to her. I was like, you've got to help me. (laughs) I I did one two days ago and I'm going fucking mental. And she took me into the corner and went, this is totally natural. It's totally understandable. Um, A lot of people go through this when they do a flotation tank. And I went, but why? She said, well, usually it's because and there's something that you're battling with subconsciously it could be something you've never done in life you know an ambition you've never had the courage to follow that was literally the first thing she said to me and she said is the one and i went well yeah and she went "Mm, i would i would think that's it and you know until you resolve that it's always going to be floating about and then in the weeks following that i just couldn't shake the feeling that i i hadn't had a go at the thing i always wanted to do and then i had this woman next to me in bed going, why do fucking do it? <laughs> fucking pussy. I love it. Not that she swore, by the no. way. Again, not her in the slightest. You just,
0: you just, isn't it amazing? You just needed that person in your life yeah. to push you off the cliff. And I
1: applied for a stand-up course. I found a stand-up course. And finally, at age 33... I find, so there is a place you can go. Yeah. So there is somewhere where you can go and meet people. And it was, like, in that, was it,
0: that was something you did with Rod Gilbert? Yeah, yeah. Steve, Lullard, Steve Hall.
1: Steve Hall. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of it, you would do... You did your first gig. Yeah. In front of your peers, safe. And how was that, that first gig? Oh, you know, terrifying. <laughs> I always, I thought it went well. And I always remember we all met up, we became mates, and we all met up. Mm. And sit around the circle, and we sort of had this you know open let's let's talk about our first gigs and let's talk about our observations of each other's things and everyone was going around and saying oh i loved your gig and i I loved what you did with that and i remember very clearly and it's sort of the start of our friendship in many ways rod gilbert going i gotta say greg you must have been disappointed by yours (laughs) (laughs) i went hey he goes well you know you've been so funny on this course but you know the first gig I mean. It didn't he didn't it wasn't up to scratch, was it?
0: Yeah, isn't that <laughs> funny? But because because Rod was one of those guys that just came he came out of the blocks Yeah. Like on stage in a way that's you're But he didn't on the course.
1: That's the weird thing. Oh, that's interesting. And, and and he would tell you this himself. Yeah. Throughout the course he didn't find a voice at all. Right. And his first gig was pretty naff oh, observational right? stuff. Okay. And then he went home and thought, I've got to reinvent myself. So yeah. he went home and he tapped into another aspect of his character and then suddenly everyone was like, fucking hell, what's yeah. happened to him? He found his voice within two gigs. But yeah. throughout the course he struggled, which is really interesting.
0: Yeah. But And from that moment there was no turning back, that was you doing stand-up?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I filled out the form to go on that course, and I left it in my car for weeks. In the claw? Yeah, and Trine, the, the aforementioned Australian, saw it and went, is this... She picked it up and went, is this that fucking application <laughs> that course? And I went, yeah, I haven't got round it. She said, stop the car, and she posted it. So.
0: It feels like, in some way, Trine and Chi-Chi are connected. Beautiful. Because... <laughs> Chi-Chi helps you get rid of things.
1: Yeah. And tree makes you start things. She made me start something. Yeah. And, ch- and Chi-Chi's getting rid of the detritus, keeping it pure. Yeah, exactly. To me, Chi-Chi's saying less of pans, more big trees.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no finer way of ending it. There's the it in out, that. innit? That's the out. <laughs> that was so brilliant, man. Thank you so much for coming. No worries. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Davies. <laughs> So that was Greg Davies' Wonderbox. He's got the latest series of Taskmaster. Um, Go to his website, find out all about it. It'll be brilliant. Thanks for listening. See you next week for another Wonderbox.